0: Hi, and welcome to the Passionistas Project podcast, where we talk with women who are following their passions to inspire you to do the same. We're Amy and Nancy Harrington, and today we're talking with Amy Honey, a pull-no-punches powerhouse speaker and trainer in the areas of customer engagement, body language, behavior modification, sales, and habit transformation. She has extensive background in high-ticket sales and is known by her peers as a powerful closer. Amy is also passionate about helping girls and women find their courage, just as she had to do, starting at the age of 16, when she found herself alone and independent. Through her own resourcefulness, she still managed to graduate from high school. At age 20, she became a single mom and chose to put her family's welfare first while overcoming numerous obstacles in an unreceptive marketplace. It was during these life challenges and her entrepreneurial journey that she crossed paths with personal development and discovered her love for speaking and training. Her passion for personal growth, travel, and transforming lives has taken Amy all over the world, helping people transform their lives through behavior observation and habit change. So please welcome to the show, Amy Honey. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Oh, we're so happy to have you. What are you most passionate about? Personal growth. My path through that is sales. Do you ever watch any of Chef Ramsay,
1: Gordon Ramsay's stuff? He does this show called Kitchen Nightmares and he goes in and w- what that show is really about is about personal growth, but his, his avenue is through cooking, you know, so that's his version of it.
2: So I think everybody has their version of personal growth. Talk about kind of your journey through life, where you started out, your experiences that we talked about a, a bit in the intro at the age of 16 becoming independent and why personal growth has become such an important concept to you through your journey. I probably started in sales at two years old. I was just like, I was just in,
1: I was just, I loved the idea of being able to create something and then and then make money for my time or my creation. And so even as a little kid, I made like pet rocks and sold them to my family or like (laughs) we would travel through Germany. We my dad was a military. So we traveled and I was, I was adopted. So it's my, and a single, an only child. I'll come into play later. So we were traveling through Germany and we had this like VW bus and it had this rack in between. So my parents, it was very difficult for my parents to get to the back of the, of the, VW bus, you know, camper and the refrigerator is right there. So they would ask me for food and I would just charge them. So (laughs) it's like, it'd be like a nickel, like, okay. Yeah. And I would like walk up with my little, you know, you know, I'm like eight years old and I'd walk up with my little paper and say you know okay I'll take your order you know okay that'll be five cents you know (laughs) whatever but they paid it because they didn't want to get into the back of the bus little did I realize supply and demand but I learned it very early on I guess and um, and so then from there uh, later on I actually started out so so I was a dance instructor so I'm really into dance I'm really into moving energy so I became a dance instructor at age 13 so very young My dance since the time I was three taught jazz, tap, ballet, gymnastics. I taught everything. I started assistant teaching at 13. And then by the age of 16, I was teaching my own classes. And then at the same time, I was working two jobs. So, and going to high school. So I was working on the phones for Kirby vacuum cleaners. So I sold Kirby vacuum cleaners on the phone from the age of 14. And then at the age of 16, I was allowed to go door to door. So I wasn't allowed to do door to door. Sales until I turned 16. So, this is back in the 80s, dating myself here. So, at that point, I just was good at talking to people because for me, it was about connecting. And then at age 16, I'm out on my own and I moved out of my mom and dad's house. I just, they're great people. We just had large differences in opinions. It's very interesting. DNA to me is very interesting because my parents are really good people, but I got the opportunity to meet my birth family about five years ago. And now I'm really, really close with my brothers. I've got four brothers that never knew I existed. And so what I found so interesting is that I'm so much like them in the way that I think about the world and my sense of humor and all that stuff. It's naturally in your DNA, right? And so there was just a difference of opinion. And so when I moved out at 16, I always felt like it, like I did something wrong. This is my fault. I'm a bad kid. I'm a horrible person. But in the meantime, I'm putting myself through high school. Like I still worked. I still graduated high school on time. So, you know, it was, I was just had a really, I always had a really strong work ethic anyway, but I also had an ethic of like, okay, I, just whatever it takes to get it done. Like whatever it takes to get it done. At the same time, I started really seeking at that point. Cause I really thought something was wrong with me. Like I was, something was wrong with me. So I started seeking and I sought out counseling and I sought out, you know, which was also kind of like wrong. Like if you went to counseling, like by my parents' standard, you know, you were wrong or you needed to be fixed or something was wrong with you. But I don't think that we put enough emphasis on the importance of mental health. So I just started seeking and I, I started finding books. And I remember one of the very first books I read way back when is a book called Peeling the Sweet Onion. And it was always all about the layers of who we are and how we're going to forget it kind of over and over and over again and how to really become more of, of the center of who we are, like getting the layers of the kind of the crap off, you know? And so that was one of the very first, and it's, it's an old book and I, it's not really popular these days, but it's still super relevant, like really super relevant. So, and then I just, you know, went on to Tony Robbins and, you know, all of these other people. And then I started working in the seminar industry, doing sales, like doing sales, but doing coaching, because for me, Sales is not just like getting the number. Like, it's funny. Cause like I get on, like, I talk to my family all the time. I was just talking to them last night and, you know, I'll say, oh, I had a good day or I had a bad day, you know? Uh, and, and my daughter was asking me, well, what, what makes it good is like, is if you just get a sale. And I said, no, no, it's the conversation. If I can get on the phone and help somebody and have a great conversation and they don't buy anything from me, I had a great day because I impacted somebody's life in a way. So to me, sales is about service and connecting the right people with the right products and figuring out the right flow of energy with the sale. So maybe that right flow of energy might be a no, but when you come to the highest point of service with that person, and you're not just looking at them as a transaction or a number, when they are ready, they will come back to you. And maybe they never will be ready and that's okay too. But if you push them into a sale you're gonna, it's, it's just, it's horrible, bad karma on you, I think bad energy on you, that's where you're going to get higher cancellations. You're going to get people complaining about your company. You're going to get all these things, right? So to, to me, it's just not worth it to push a person into a sale. And then when did you start public speaking? I've been a teacher since a young age. So I was in front of groups of people with no problem and teaching dance and I teach Zumba. I owned I owned a gym. So, you know, just I've be- always been in front of people, not a problem. I was also a stunt woman. And so I don't have any problems being in front of cameras. That's my husband and I are both stunt actors. So I just never had a problem being in front of people. But when I started working in the seminar industry, I was forced to get in, you know, we would have to intro the speaker. So it was like, all of a sudden I had to, introduced a Les Brown or somebody. And I'm just like, whoa, okay. Okay. So I was just kind of thrown into it. And then I just started speaking. And for me, I just think when you can speak to a group of people, it's a lot easier than trying to one-on-one because there's always things like, like every, single, every single business, I believe that we have to educate our clients because an educated client is a good client. And when they understand it and they're educated enough. And so I feel that there's things that every single business repeats over and over and over again. So if we can take those things that we repeat over and over again and I and make a video or or get them as, together as a group and say it, you're not exhausting yourself saying it over and over and over again to each client. Tell us a little bit about being a stunt woman. What attracted you to that world? I was always into fitness. I wanted to do martial arts from the time I was a real little kid, but I was I had to do, you know, I had to dance. So dancing was the thing or piano, piano. I did piano for a while it was not ladylike to do martial arts. So I wasn't allowed to do martial arts. So as soon as I turned eight, well, as soon as I turned 16, I moved out. But by the time I was 18, I had my feet underneath me and I'd graduated high school and stuff. And so at that point I was like, I can take martial arts. (laughs) No one's stopping me. I can pierce anything I want. I can get tattoos. So yeah, so I did. I went and started taking martial arts. And at that same time I was body doubling as an actress. So I was living in Oregon at the time and I was on this movie set and I met a stunt coordinator on the movie set, Steve, his name was Steve, really super nice guy. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. And so I was, I was an extra on the set. So I was, I was body doubling and I met this, um, I met the stunt coordinator and he said to me, and I started just digging and asking questions. And he said, look, if you're really interested, why don't you fly out to LA and meet with our stunt guys and see what you think? And I said, oh, okay. And so I booked a flight to LA and it was so funny because I'm like, I'm 51 years old now. I think I was 22 or 23 at that time. I weigh a lot more now than I did then. So I was probably like 105 pounds, like soaking wet, five foot tall, I'm little. And so I get on this plane, I get on the plane. This is 1994. So I get on the plane and no one's on the plane. And I'm like, this is really bizarre, right? Well, come to find out, that was the 1994 earthquake in Northridge that had just happened that morning. So everybody canceled their flight, right? So like I'm on the flight by myself and I'm heading to LA and they've got this guy, his name was Big Wayne, picking me up at the airport. This is a guy I've never met before, right? Now, Big Wayne is like a massive dude. He kind of looks like the rock and it's probably about as big. And I walk up and he's holding the sign and I'm like, this is how every horror movie war starts. Like, oh my God, what am I like? I'm just like, I'm walking into this thing. I don't know this guy. I'm getting in a car with this stranger. I'm in a strange town. I was just like, what was I thinking? Like, I'm freaking out at this point. Like inside my heart is like, but I'm like, no, no. I trust my gut. I trust my gut. So he took me out to eat with a couple of the other stunt actors. And it was very interesting because they wanted to know my philosophy on life. Like they wanted to know if I believed in fate. They wanted to know if I believed in circumstance. They wanted to know if I believed if I created my own reality at that point. Like I was really young, but they wanted to know these things because they weren't going to trust me with teaching me some of these things. If I didn't believe that things happen for a reason, that you're in the right place at the right time, that you trust yourself, because it's very important when you're doing choreography with another stunt actor, you have to trust that when they're supposed to zig, they're going to zig. And when they're supposed to zag, they're going to zag. Otherwise you're going to collide and people get hurt. So that's how I learned. And so the kinds of stunts that I do were are high falls and lighting myself on fire and fight scenes. What projects did
2: you do those in?
1: Oh, gosh. Like I did a lot of um, a lot of TV and uh, I did quite a few like Showtime, HBO movies, and I couldn't even tell you some of the titles because they have what's called a working title. And then and then and then it goes to print. Crime Strike was one of them, like any like cops reenactments. I played in a battered woman a lot because I get beat up really well. So I can really, I can really sell a, I can really sell a punch. There's a really cool chase credit card commercial and it's actually a friend of mine. Her name is Melissa Barker and she gets hit by a car and she comes off and she's like, yeah, you know, like you can't, I can't predict everything that's going on, but I can predict what's in my wallet kind of thing. <laughs> and um, so she's actually a really big stunt woman. And she, she was one of the gals I trained with um, early on. And with her and her husband, Eric Betts, he's a, another big stunt, stunt guy. So yeah, she's still going strong. I'm 51, I don't bounce like I used to. And, <laughs> um, and, and I got out at a point when, you know, I realized that most stunt people have broken their back at some point. So I was like, yeah, I think I'm gonna
0: cash it in. <laughs> Quit while you're ahead. <laughs> you said your husband is, was also a stunt person. Did you meet him in that industry? The funny thing is we did not. So uh, Ah. we we actually met, do you know who uh,
1: Joey Dispenza is? Dr. Joe Dispenza? He's written a book called Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. He's a a speaker. And again, it's personal growth. So we met doing personal growth, but it was really funny because we were at this thing where he was talking and I, I think we were like the youngest people in the crowd. So like we were both like 36 at the time. And so we were like the youngest people there and everybody else was like well over 60. And so we were just like, hi, <laughs> a young person. And so we met and it was like, he was like, oh yeah, I'm a stunt. I'm like, oh my God, I'm a stunt woman. So that was interesting. But he, did, he is from Australia and he did stunts for live action shows. He did some movies, but he mostly did live action. So he did, he was a Warner Brothers movie world. He opened up universal Japan. He went to Indonesia. So he was a stunt, a
0: live stunt action performer for years where he did shows daily. After you met, you eventually opened your first business together. So what was the first business you started together? It was the gym that we started together. Before that, we were kind of doing our own things,
1: but then I'm an entrepreneur and a big risk taker. And it's funny, he's a stunt man, but he's not risky. So I'm more of a rule breaker and a risk taker and he's more by the book, by the rules. So jumping off a building is not risky to him as much as like purchasing a brand new business. is scary, <laughs> scary to him. <laughs> so, uh, so he always worked for the people kind of thing, but now he's learned how to be an entrepreneur. So the, the gym was the first business that we opened
2: together. Tell us about running your own gym. What was that like? Did you like doing that? Oh, I'm so glad we're not doing that. (laughs) I loved helping the people. It was great.
1: But God, like what a babysitting project that was. Because our gym was a little different. We were like a more high-end studio. So you didn't just come to the gym and work out when you wanted. Everything was classes. So I taught Zumba. I taught spin. I taught, I created my own classes like ride and row, which was like a, like a spin and a row class combined. And then I had employees and stuff, but oh man, what a headache, what a headache and a brick and mortar. And I'm so happy that we do not have that during, like when the pandemic started, all I kept saying was like, I'm so
0: glad we don't have the gym. I'm so glad we don't have the gym. We never would have survived it. No. While you had the gym, you developed the five elements of health. So tell us about that and why each one is important. What Jamie says is you've got five elements of health,
1: exercise, sleep, hydration, nutrition, and emotional environment. And when you get all five, you've got a grip on your health. That's what he says. <laughs> you've got a grip on your health. Um, so they're all important. But the most important one, of course, is emotional uh, environment. And what emotional environment contains is the energy around you. Emotion, it, emotion is energy in motion. And it's the people around you. And it's your, it's your health space. And it's, your, it's everything that has to do with your mindset. And the emotional environment is the most important one because you, it's almost like if you think of a triangle and you think of like the emotional body is like at the top of the triangle and the physical body's at the bottom. If you change the physical body, but you don't change the mind up here, you're just gonna come back to that physical body that you were at before. So you could lose all the weight, you could do it. This is why people lose weight and then they come right back to, to, to here. This is why people win the lottery and then spend all the money and don't have the money. Because they got the physical level, but they didn't do the mind level up here. So what I realized in that is that the mindset was the most important piece. So, th- so for me to really help people would be to focus on the mindset. So that's what we kind of shifted to is focusing on the mindset. I worked with people that needed to lose hundreds of pounds. That is, a, it's a, it can be a slow moving boat. You got to kind of give them a wide berth and let them be able to, you know, come around to this new lifestyle. And it takes patience, and it ta- but it t- really takes shifting that mindset. Until this has changed, nothing's going to change in the body. And if it does change, it's just going to go right back to where it was at if the mindset doesn't get changed along with it.
2: And so is that what sp- inspired you to create Improv for Impact? Improv for Impact is more my husband's business, but it's a tool that I use in sales Tai
1: Chi. So Improv for Impact, He's he's always done improv. But when people think of improv, they think of comedy or they think of like whose line is in any way, or they think of like comedians. Oh, that's funny. What I realized when I was recognizing it and watching what he was doing was, I was like, Oh my gosh, what a brilliant way to, and a fun way to figure out what people's habits are that are holding them back from success. Because as he's playing the games, I'm watching the patterns and what happens is when you play a game, there's always rules on the game, right? So anytime you add rules, it adds stress. But even though it's fun stress, anytime we're in a, a moment of stress, like it, like if you think of like like fun games where you're like, ah, and you're like, you're like kind of get a little stress. We always revert back to our habit in times of stress. So then I could ident- I easily identify what the habits were. So there's certain games where we can watch it and we'll say, oh, that's interesting. That person doesn't like to take responsibility for things. Or, oh, that's interesting. This person always wants to push their idea, but they're not willing to listen to others' ideas. Or, oh, that's interesting. This person always says no before they hear it out because in their head, and this, is, this really can help teams. It can help innovation with business because what we see a lot of people do is like, say I'm an employee and I come to the boss with an idea and the boss goes, well, we can't, no, that's not, we can't do that. Because in the boss's head, he's thinking, It's going to cost this. It's going to cost this. It's going to cost this. What are we going to do, right? But if the boss had just said, yes, okay, well, let's figure out how that can happen. Maybe another idea is going to come out of that. Maybe it's not that idea. But if he was open to it, instead of just immediately blocking that idea, he would be able to innovate and be able to come up with something completely new. I love Apple, what Apple did. Steve Jobs came back when he came back after he had been gone from his company for a while, they spent, I think, a few days on this. And they said, well, what business are we in? And they said, well, we're in the computer business. And he said, no, no, no. What business are we really in? What are are we really in? What are we really doing here? And they took days to figure this out. And they spent time just minds, you know, brainstorming. What they ended up coming up with was, no, we connect people to their passions. And that's how they came up with the iPod. That was when they first came up with the iPod because, oh, well, their passions are what? Their passions are music. Their passions are photos. Their passions are family, emails. Their passions are, you know, these kinds of things. So that's was became their motto. And it was like, it was a different innovative way of thinking about things. So if we can so, stop blocking that, then we, can, then, we can, then we can identify who in the company's doing these things.
2: We're Amy and Nancy Harrington, and you're listening to the Passionistas Project podcast in our interview with Amy Honey. To learn more about Amy, visit her website, amyjohoney.com. Now here's more of our interview with Amy.
0: How can people transform their habits to, to connect better with their clients and communicate their values better?
1: We teach about the energy of sales, so we teach about looking at the energy, and then we also teach really active listening, truly active listening to somebody. And we teach them how to stop blocking them. So for instance, if I come to you and I say, Hey, Nancy, I got this great health product. Are you open to taking a look at it? And you're just like, no, I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. What, what interests you the most? Right? So like trying to connect on a different level, right? When somebody tells you, no, or blocks it. You have to accept it. So what I see a lot of salespeople do is they keep pushing. Yeah, but this is really good for you. But this is really, but no, Dancy, this could really benefit you. Like really, you need to look at this, right? No, she already said no, right? Stop it and just stop. Like sometimes it's
2: better just not to sell. You really are passionate about helping girls and women find their courage. So how do you do that? And especially single moms, because I was a single mom. So
1: especially single moms. I met my husband when my daughter was 18. So how do I do that? How do I help women? I, I, I think that women are really powerful in who they are. And I, I specifically love helping women and teaching women how to sell. Because we are, we are nurturers. We are naturally a nurturer. And we naturally create through pleasure. So men push, push, push hard, 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 buy, buy, buy. Women don't function that way. So I like to teach women sales by just using their own nature of who they are. You know, don't try to be me. Don't try to be the other best salesperson in the world. You've got to be you to do it. And you are valid and you are valuable in who you are. And so that, so I, 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 I especially just, I mean, I work with companies and corporations, but I I really am super passionate. Like when I see a woman, especially a single mom, I'm kind of like honing on her and I'm just like in her ear, like you're really amazing.
2: You can do it. What's the philosophy of sales Tai Chi? How does it work? So sales Tai
1: Chi right now, the main thing that we're training teams to do, we're training them how to recreate their live events to online because it's just necessary right now. So how do you recreate that live event experience and do it online. Sales Tai Chi is all about the energy of the sale and the flow of energy and how to take whatever comes at you and move it into the energy that you want it to be moved into. So rather than blocking the energy of a no, accepting the energy and turning the energy in, into what you want. And when, when you do get a no, what I train our teams to do is to accept that no. You know, when you get objections, that's different than a no. When you get objections, you want to turn that objection and, va- and validate their objection. Because if somebody says to you, oh, I just, I just don't have the time right now. Well, that's just that's an, ex- an objection. In reality, it's an excuse because they just told me they really wanted this, but now they're telling me they don't have time, right? So I, you never wanna say, oh, but you've got plenty of time or you've got, because you're just invalidating their excuse and their excuse in their own head is really valid. So it's more about asking questions. You know, so when they when they say oh I don't have time, oh I know. Yeah, time can be that can be tough. Do you want more time? You know what I mean? So it's like it's like accepting accepting it. And if it's a no, accept the no. Sales is like kissing. The other person has
2: to be leaning in or you can't kiss them. <laughs> you talk about how I shouldn't try and sell the way you try and sell. So how does somebody tap into their their personal strengths to figure out what their best approach is? So I would just ask you like when you're like do you, do you sell anything right now? We sell a, a subscription box. Okay. Oh, cool. What's in it? It's all products from women-owned businesses and female artisans. I love that. That's great. Okay so what is your favorite thing about
1: the products? Like, what are you most excited about that
0: excites you about that product? To me, the most exciting thing about the subscription box is that we're supporting other women. Like it's just, you know, we, we beyond selling the products, we uh, interview every woman in the box and we share their stories so that people are, aren't just buying the product, they're supporting the woman behind the product. And to me, that's what I love about doing the subscription box.
1: What do you absolutely hate about selling?
0: Selling. Asking people for money.
1: <laughs> yeah. Asking people for money. Okay. Yeah. So then what I would do with you is I would shift your mindset around about that because are these products gonna serve that person? Yes. Yeah. So if you're not selling, you're not serving. So I would just help you shift that mindset around asking people for money because it is va- it is valuable, right? Oh yeah. yeah. And then how do you sell as yourself is you just find the things that you like. So if you really love connecting with women, then just connect with them. You don't have to sell them anything, right? Just connect with them. If that's your favorite part about it and you hate asking for the money, but you love connecting, then just connect. And then it's, it doesn't even feel like you're asking for money. It's similar to like, you know, would you tell your best friend about a great movie that you just watched? Sure. Yeah. So why wouldn't you tell them about the subscription box? So you're going to just tell your friends as if you were telling them about a great movie. I'll leave you with a little story. This was kind of a big lesson for me. So when I did own the gym, I had a, I would help people lose hundreds of pounds. And I had a program that was $5,000. I'd be with you for a year. I guaranteed at least a hundred pounds of weight loss. So during that, I thought, you know what? I want to really help everybody. I really just want to help everybody. And not everybody can afford me. So maybe I should just run like a free, almost Weight Watchers type of a class on the weekends. So on Saturday, I did an, a, a full hour. I had about 18 people. a smaller town. So I had about 18 people that came. During that entire year that I did that, I was there every week. Not one person lost one damn pound. And the worst part about it was there was a guy... And he passed away at age 36 at 450 pounds. I feel like if I had sold him that package that he would probably be here today. Because when people put, put money in the game, they're invested. They're, they're going to do it. They're going to, you know, and, and just think about the women that do buy your box and that buy like how excited are they when they get this box? I mean, who doesn't love to get a box of stuff where you're just like, I don't know what's coming and I can't wait. It's like opening, right? Like, so tap into that excitement that the women feel that buy your box. And then that makes it a little bit easier to ask for the money because you know they're going to be excited to get it.
0: What advice would you give to a young woman that wants to be an entrepreneur? Go for it, jump in with both feet, don't hesitate. It's like stunts.
1: <laughs> Once you go to jump off that building, if you stop yourself in the middle of it, you're going to get hurt. Once you commit, commit and do it. Don't hesitate. The hesitation, that's like, there's, there is a lot of dead squirrels on the road to indecision, right? So don't hesitate. When we hesitate, that's when we, you know, are we going to make the right decisions all the time? Probably not. That's Okay stop beating yourself up about it.
0: Take a little risk. It's okay. Get out there and do it. Thanks for listening to the Passionistas Project podcast and our interview with Amy Honey. To learn more about Amy, visit her website, amyjohoney.com. Please visit thepassionistasproject.com to learn more about our podcast and subscription box filled with products made by women-owned businesses and female artisans to inspire you to follow your passion. Sign up for our mailing list to get 10% off your first purchase. And be sure to subscribe to the Passionistas Project Podcast so you don't miss any of our upcoming inspiring guests. Until next time, stay well and stay passionate.